Recent events in my life have gotten me to reflect on the journey that brought me here. When my profile was featured by Valentine Zoza in a book project called 50 Young African Women Achievers, I was both very humbled and very excited. Um, And it made me reflect even more deeply on where I've come from and where I'm going. Hi, my name is Fungai Mettler and this is the Raw Stories podcast. It is a place where we acknowledge where we're coming from by telling stories followed by lessons. I agree with Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie when she talks about the dangers of a one-sided story and I find it important to share parts about my life and my story with you. As time goes by, we will get into details on some of the topics that are highlighted here, some topics that are important to society and some topics that are sometimes more difficult to talk about but are important to talk about all the same. When this feature came out, I received many kind emails and also many questions um, about how I did it, how I got here. My response is very simple. I had help. There's an African proverb that says, it takes a village to raise a child. I am a product of many people's love, support and encouragement. I lost my parents when I was seven years old. Um, to HIV and AIDS and this was very tough and very difficult to talk about for a very long time. As a result of their death I was taken in by different family members. By the time I turned 12 I had lived in at least three families and had changed school three times and I had struggled with a sense of belonging and a sense of arriving because things just kept on changing in my life and I finally got into a family that that welcomed me with open arms um, and helped and supported me for the rest of my primary school, the rest of my high school and also through university for the first one and a half years. Um, One and a half years in As I thought, okay, I've arrived, I'm going for my dreams, I'm pushing for my future. Um, The Zimbabwean economy collapsed and the uncle that had been supporting me at university lost his business and he couldn't afford to support me anymore. This was a very tough time for me Um, and that coupled with other events that were going on around my life, um, I found it very difficult to cope and I, I, I slowly went into a depression Um, And I was very sad. I had always had these big goals and dreams of pursuing university and um, making something out of my life and being independent. And now without being able to complete this degree, I was really at the end of the rope and I, I felt like there was no way out. And it put me in a really dark place, really put in um, quite frank terms. It put me in a really, in a really dark place. Um, however, I, I kept on attending classes at university and sitting for exams, you know, without ever seeing my results um, until it wasn't possible anymore. It was either I paid up or I dropped out. Now, just to give you a little bit of context or understanding why it is such a big deal that I, I kept on writing exams is because 
before you went into it was called the great hall at msu before you went into the great hall for um, a couple of semesters they introduced a new rule that for you to enter the hall to write your exams you had to show the invigilators or the examiners a receipt that you had paid your school fees and i clearly had not so i i played many different tricks i would arrive late because normally when you arrive late at the exam hall they would be forced to let you through right because you know you need to get seated and you need to get started so i used that for a couple of um couple of exams and the great hall had uh, many different entrances as well or The Great Hall and the other exam rooms that we used had different entrances. So I would always sort of like wait and scout to make sure that um, a professor that I got along with very well was at the entrance that I wanted to use so that they'd let me in. And and it works a couple of times as well. Um, And for you to be, but for you to be able to see your results, then at the end, your exam results, um, you needed to show and the, the system so it was an automated system the, the system would be able to prove if you'd paid or not um, and so because I hadn't paid I never had access to any of my exam results for at least one and a half years um, but I kept on attending classes and, and I kept on trying many people didn't know these things about me um, it wasn't important that they did and I kept working hard and and so when, when it wasn't possible anymore to trick the system, it was just at a point where it was either you paid up or you deferred the semester or deferred the year and carried on at another time when you had the money. Um, then it was, it was a very tough time for me and I needed to sort of decide. And in this low place, I, um, as a, and then I, I was actually at the time on in, during... I was an attachment during this time as well um, and what then happened was I was sent over to work at um, a CA camp um, which is where so I was attached at, at the at the Masia camp and whenever there were camps we would be sent down to go over there so I went to one of the camps grudgingly my supervisor at the time will tell you that I did not go easy I I was not in a good place mentally and physically and I just didn't want to be leading a camp in that state even though I knew the importance that I'd be there so after convincing kicking and screaming I decided okay I'm going to go because this is what my supervisor wants me to do um, which is very interesting because it's at that camp that I met my husband in a very unlikely situation very unlikely setup and we got along and generally I was just helping him understand the programs that we were working on um, and I was also translating for him because the camp was with a group of orphans and vulnerable children that did not always speak English so I was translating from Debele and Shona two local languages in Zimbabwe I was translating those to him um, and just you know helping him understand the setup and giving providing him with with context um, we got along and we spent a lot of time together because of this we we had fun we made many jokes and long story short we ended up um 
talking very often uh, via WhatsApp. And he went back to Switzerland after that. Um, and I stayed in Zimbabwe. And we dated for a couple of months, long distance. Um, and before I went back to university for the fourth year, we decided that I come and visit him in Switzerland and just see how things work here. And of course, that was a a big eye-opener that the, there's people in the world that lived the way people in, in Switzerland did. Um, very privileged settings, I found, uh, coming from Zimbabwe. And, but I was excited. I was here. I saw mountains. I saw snow. Um, everything that I ever imagined, right? I was very excited. Um, and so we dated for a while. And eventually, I was going to come back to Zimbabwe. Um, and he, he was asking if I was excited about coming back to, to finish off my last year in university. And, and that's when I, I opened up and I said, listen, I'm not going to finish off my fourth year because I don't have the funds right now. So my goal when I get back to Zimbabwe is to find a job first. And hopefully within the next year or two, I would have saved up enough to be able to complete my degree. And he immediately responded by saying, there's no way we can let you do that. And... He was, but he was a student as well at the time. He was also doing his, his bachelor's degree and, of course, couldn't afford to put me through university, right? Um, so he asked his parents for support, which was very nice and very kind. His parents agreed um, and so I was able to finish off my bachelor's degree and I was able to move to Switzerland afterwards to study my master's degree Um we got married four years later and, you know, we continue building our life together. It's It's been a journey and for me, the biggest lessons um, in my life, which I'll talk about also in, in a little bit, are that, you know, you need support and you need help. And sometimes you don't always know where that help is coming from, but you do need to ask for help. And that's not something that I was very good at. Um, and I was glad that he offered to help me anyway without me asking because I was just not able to. And, and when I think about it, I just think, I mean, you need to check what is the situation like and, and you sort of need to allow yourself to ask for help um, when you need it. So I'm in Switzerland. Things were great. I studied my degree and I, I finished. My professors were very happy um, and I was just really happy and I thought, well, now I'm really on the way. And then job hunting began, right? And that became really tough. It was it was a nightmare. It was really hard um, to find a job. I remember a university counselor saying to me that your chances are very slim. When people see that you're black and you're African, they will be less inclined to hire you, you know. And, and I remember how painful that was to hear. It was painful to hear, but it was true. Um, I really experienced it after that. And the only way that I could eventually get into a job was through networking and meeting people in the field of my interest. And I found that this improved my chances greatly because when I had spoken to someone and then they looked at my CV, I wasn't just a random African to them anymore, right? So to speak, I was a person with a face. It, it humanized me. And so I kept on networking and meeting people. I started volunteering for NGOs and offering my expertise and and I enjoyed it. It helped me, it strengthened my credentials, but it was a step towards what I wanted to go to as well. I knew that my life was always going to be where I was making a living by 
making an impact so and 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 for me ngos was the best place that i could do that um eventually i moved into a company again through really serious networking and through introductions from this person to that person which which really helped me when i got into the company um it was in a different role than i than the role that i wanted to end up in working in corporate responsibility i got a mentor that was working in the area that i wanted to work in she shared her knowledge with me she shared her expertise with me and after about a year of mentorship she became my sponsor you know she's just one of those women that never thought my dreams were too big she had she made time for me she showed me everything i needed to learn and she created opportunities for me that's what she did and at the same time as she was working on these opportunities i didn't sit around and and wait and hope for the best i also tried from my own way to keep on networking and talking to people i found a coach um that taught me the value of negotiating my worth she taught me to be less afraid of people saying no and to keep going towards my dreams and i had big dreams i wanted to work either in a in a big ngo or to work in corporate responsibility and this just didn't seem possible or reachable for me at the time and but with the support that i had i surrounded myself uh with people that had similar ideas that were not afraid to dream big and that didn't make my dreams feel silly so we engaged in conversations and, and we talked about many different topics right so and i can say like in a nutshell with with my husband my siblings my family my friends mentor coach and with the network that i surrounded myself with I was bound to achieve whatever I set my mind to and they became such a strong support system for me that even now I haven't reached the peak of what I think I'm capable of of and what I would like to achieve but I can definitely say with the network like the one I have I think I can get there right I think it's about recognizing that We all need a support system for our dreams as the first lesson. We all need a support system. You can't do it on your own. And no man is an island, right? And from the people that have believed in me, I find lesson number 2 being it's just important to believe in people despite their backgrounds. And I was a child that was left behind by my parents with no inheritance and no possession. I was just left as I am with my siblings. And children left behind do grow up and their dreams are valid. Uh so for those of us that were left behind and thought we were we deserved less of the world, you know the message is no you don't. Your dreams are valid and you will achieve whatever you set your mind to. And the third lesson for me is good still exists in a world where people are sometimes really concerned uh about how it benefits them to help others. Good still exists. There are still people out there that are willing to invest in someone else um for the sake of it and be it time resources there are people that are willing to invest in others good still exists the fourth and final lesson is coaching and mentorship is underrated it will compress time and you know it's one of those things that you know can certainly ensure your growth and your success um because your knowledge can only take you so far and you need to identify and have people in your life that will pick you from where your knowledge ends and take you to the next level i say as we end 
I quote again Robin Sharma and say, each of us has to overcome inevitable adversities, difficulties as well as challenges that constantly try to keep us from achieving our intended goals. Um, the lesson there is keep going, keep pushing, nothing is impossible. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. I look forward to speaking to you next week on the next topic, which I'll be very excited to announce to you soon. Goodbye. Thank you.